I think fundamentally one of the things that's most healing about working with plant medicines is that it helps you become more present. And just by becoming more present, we cure a lot of the things, you know, a lot of the manifestations of disorders that we have are based on not being present. So for example, depression tends to be people who tend toward depression tend to have very, a high degree of rumination, meaning they're always in the past. They're in these loops. They're chronically, you know, thinking things, thinking old stories, thinking scripts. I should have done this. I should have said that. Um, they tend to be in the past a lot. People with anxiety tend to be chronically worried about the future all the time. What do I do? What do I say? What if this happens? What if that happens? And uh, <laughs> right. And then there's people that do both, you know, and so they're never where they are. Um, so just, it's hard to, you know, quantify such a thing, but, but just plant medicines help us become more present. And when you become more present, you're less apt to lean toward depression or anxiety, just because you're not in the past and you're not in the future anymore. You're actually just where you are. Meet Casey Garrett. Casey Garrett is the founder of Microdosing for Healing, a nationwide virtual program combining microdosing education, experience, and supportive community. Casey has been in the healing arts for more than two decades with a successful healing arts practice and studios in Northern California. Her passion is inviting individuals to rediscover their own natural, innate healing and building community around healing, discovery, and possibility. The topic of our podcast today is microdosing with plant medicine and the incredible work that's being done at Johns Hopkins and in numerous cities around the country that have decriminalized and even legalized mushrooms as medicine. Casey, as you just heard, is doing some amazing work to empower her clients in the knowledge of plant medicine in combination with healthy living practices. Casey shares with us her background in the healing arts and how she grew her spa in Northern California, Solstice Spa, to include four locations. The work she did with celebrities and well-known folks around the country is legendary. Yet during the pandemic, she had to shift and grow in a new direction, and she hasn't looked back since. The transformation that is possible with these plant medicines is pretty amazing, and I feel it needs to be shared to greater masses. I love when she states about mental health and plant medicine, you don't cure these emotions, you shift your relationship with anxiety and depression. You don't numb your feelings, you feel them, but not as intensely. The world of plant medicine, medicinal mushrooms, and functional mushrooms, as you will learn, is opening up so many possibilities for healing from so many diverse perspectives. We talk about the work currently going on at Johns Hopkins with Dr. Roland Griffiths at the Center for Psychedelics and Consciousness Research. The personal reports of healing and clarity that so many of our clients have experienced are pretty amazing. So we also spend some time talking about the healing properties of what are called functional mushrooms that you can easily find, grow, and use in your daily life. Things like reishi, lion's mane, turkey tail, and many others. The show notes are full of links to explore some of these ideas and the places to source these mushrooms and learn more about, more about the benefits. So stick with me here and maybe this will open your eyes and mind to a world of healing that is within reach for you or someone you know. Thanks for listening and without further delay, here is Casey Garrett. 
So welcome, Casey. I am, I have so many questions. I just want to jump in, but I know <laughs> I'm going to have to slow myself down and just, uh, you know, let it flow. But what I'd love to do is just start out um, finding out where did you start with all of this, the, the world of healing and and medicine, really? I mean, you, you know, you and I talked and, and that's kind of the, the background, but tell me where it started and how, what your journey was to where you are now. Mm -hmm. Happy to. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you all. Um, yeah, it started very early for me. Luckily, I kind of knew uh, even as a child that I wanted to do something in medicine or health or healing. And so as a kid, uh, from the time I was very small, I always wanted to be a doctor. I thought I would grow up to be a doctor. And I was a ballet dancer and an athlete. And I grew up on the East Coast. And, you know, where I grew up at the time I grew up, um, you know, there was physical therapy or orthopedic surgery, or that was kind of what body work was um, that I was familiar with. It wasn't until I moved out to California as a young adult that I kind of stepped into this world, a whole new world and a whole kind of paradigm of quote unquote alternative healing. Right. Um, and there began kind of my career and I instantly felt kind of kindred spirits with teachers I met and mentors. And so early in my twenties, I kind of embarked in beginning in somatic therapies. And then that just expanded out into many different modalities and practices from there. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. So, so definitely it's interesting to, you're the second person or maybe actually the third person that's really been interested in dance that, that moved into the world of of health or body work, which I can understand the body work part of it. I also know someone who, who moved into um, nutrition and health from that perspective, but dance really gives you an appreciation of your body in ways that you never thought about. Absolutely. Yeah. I think later in life, my dance affinity moved into yoga practice, which is, is now a very, very important part of my life. I do yoga daily and yeah, it's having that relationship early on as a child, when you're an athlete or a dancer, you are in your body, you understand what it is like to move through the world, being embodied, being in touch with your body, being able to communicate with your body and dance is so exacting, especially ballet, um, your body's talking to you all the time. So one of the greatest ways we can heal is being in our body first. That's we coach a lot of people on that until you kind of sink down. A lot of us walk around in our heads mm -hmm. 24 seven, um, really getting into your body is one of the foundational aspects we teach people in the healing process. And, but, but also thinking about like the athlete and being in your body, sometimes it's about pushing your body beyond what you should be pushing and not really listening to your body. So, so there is kind of a difference there when you talk about embodiment and then you talk about the the athlete, because so right. many people that are athletes push themselves to a place where it starts to become deterioration rather than healing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you just described runners to a T. Totally. And a lot of, you know, very competitive athletes. I worked with a lot of uh, professional athletes and it's usually, it's only until they're injured did they start to really take care of themselves? And it less becomes less about important uh, 
performance and more about prevention, um, that it takes an injury to do that. Right, because you can ignore it. I mean, which I did. I ran on a, a hip fracture for about two weeks before I actually went to someone. And when they told me that, I thought, well, that's crazy. I thought I just needed to stretch more. Yep. <laughs> We would laugh. Runners are a, a unique species. Um, you know, our body work team would always comment on, you know, runners have the highest pain tolerance. They can go, 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 go. And they're like, oh yeah, I had a, I had a stress fracture for months and had no idea, you know, and you're doing marathons. It's, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So embodiment, that's, that's wonderful. So, so you started out in the world of medicine and embodiment and kind of getting a sense of the, the body and then moving into massage and body mm -hmm. work, energy work. And then tell me, like, I mean, you became pretty successful with what you were doing. Tell me that. Yeah, I was really blessed. I had a really beautiful practice developed. I based my practice in San Francisco, but I had a very international clientele um, from lots of East Coasters. And I worked with a lot of professional traveling teams, professional athletes. Um, and yeah, after that practice that gave me fortunately the ability to open our first studio. So that's how that began. And then my practice then grew from body work and somatic base to meditation, to yoga, to plant medicine, to sound healing, and many, many other modalities with the intention of really treating the whole person, mm -hmm. not just the physical body, but also the mental and emotional and spiritual parts of ourselves too. Right. Because they're just interconnected without, there's no way to separate those, even though we try very hard. We, Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. I'm separate. So tell me the name of your studios and, and what happened as you grew and, and worked more, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We started our, I opened the first studio back in 2012. Um, there were four of us uh, doing body work and it's called Solstice. And over the last eight years, we opened three more. So we had four studios going into um, covid closures, unfortunately, and had to close those, you know, we're in an industry, we're in California, which it was probably the strictest in the country in terms of mandated closure, we were kind of like the first to shut down and the last to reopen. Um, and especially in an industry that, you know, the entire premise of what we do and provide to the world is group community healing through classes and therapeutic touch. Mm -hmm. So not ideal <laughs> during, a, during a pandemic. Yeah. So it was really, really challenging time. We, you know, tried to do and provide as much as we could virtually. We did a mental health series uh, for our community um, through a series of webinars and we did daily classes, daily movement and meditation classes. But in the end, it was such a long closure. We were closed for over 450 days, um, our movement studios. So wow. had to come to the difficult decision to um, close the brick and mortar end of our business and move entirely virtual, which is eventually how I met you through some of our, our new virtual offerings and courses. Right, yeah. Right, right. And, and so, but you also said that, you know, in that there was a silver lining, right? There's a silver lining that that you were able to move into something that you had been really interested in, but not able to necessarily expand very much. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. 
I mean, every day now I talk to someone who is just newly discovering these practices and, and plant medicine mm -hmm. and, you know, there's always a reason for everything. And especially in loss, you know, there's, it's just the cycle of nature and the cycle of life. You, you know, with death becomes new rebirth and sometimes it's planned. And then other times we just have to adapt, you know, along the way, but on the other side of it, it's often, it, it's making a whole lot of sense is that it's really, really time for us to really shift into kind of the next paradigm of healing. And a lot of that is, is less discovery and more remembering. Mm. So these things have been with us for a very long time. Oh. Um, plant medicine, uh, mushroom medicine, indigenous traditions, ancient, you know, these are things that we're now rediscovering with the beauty of having modern science now behind it to be able to do research on these things and actually show clear results. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it was a difficult loss, but it was a gift and the silver lining is now being able to bring that work um, to a nationwide audience, you know, whereas before we were just in California. Yeah. So, and, and definitely what you talk about here is it being an ancient tradition. Like we're just remembering, we're not discovering something new. It's been around for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, right? Yes. Just watch that video, the TEDx video uh, with Dr. Roland Griffiths from Johns Hopkins. And Isn't he so wonderful? Yeah. He is wonderful. I mean, he's a psychopharmacologist, right? He's been doing research in that area for so many years. And now it's opened up to allow research in, in plant medicine, which you know, most things are, are somewhat based in, in plants and things that are, are naturally grown here. But, you know, the synthetics have been a big part of what what medicine has worked with, right? So it's really exciting that we can actually have some research besides, behind some of this. And mm -hmm. so tell me, tell me, okay, we're going to get into our topic here. It's plant medicine, <laughs> it's mushrooms, it's Tell me your definition of plant medicine and the different aspects of it, because you'll talk about a couple different types of mushrooms too. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think plant medicine, the topic is much broader than people sometimes think of it. You know, some people instantly think of the sixties and, you know, the psychedelics and peyote and, um, ayahuasca, that of course is part of plant medicine, but I think plant medicine, I think there's going to be an increasing shift in the way we view food as medicine mm -hmm. and plants and the mushroom kingdom. And just, yeah, the way we view our health is going to be more in interdependence and um, reciprocity with nature. And that's going to mean, yeah, utilizing our, really treating our food and our diet more like our medicines than we have in the past. So plant medicine to me, yes, includes, you know, the entheogenic medicines, which are the, you know, what we're going to talk about today, the, you know, psilocybin and the ayahuasca and the wachuma and San Pedro. But it, to me, it also includes all of the functional mushrooms, mm -hmm. you know, that you can get accessible everywhere right now at the store, um, have tremendous healing benefits. I think we're just starting to really see like mushrooms are amazing amazing um 
yes. for health and also a whole host of plants. And some of them we're already aware of, you know, the veggies we eat at, you know, at the farmer's market, but also a whole host of herbs. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're going to increasingly utilize them for medicinal purposes beyond just spices and seasonings which again is is an ancient practice but we kind of let go of it we forgot about it we we just like we disconnect from our bodies we disconnected from that ancient world of healing that 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 information is known and something that you said about connecting and you know food is medicine and getting back to nature i just Mm -hmm. saw what you had posted on um instagram which was a while ago i was just kind of checking out a few things from Mm -hmm. Um, Joseph Campbell, where it says the goal of life is to make your heartbeat match the beat of the universe, to match your nature with nature. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's that's energetics as well, because you're we're combining some of these things and there's there's energy in the plant world. There's energy in us. There's energy everywhere. And we're trying to match that so that we're not fighting against it. And by functional m- mushrooms, you're talking about um, shiitake and chaga and reishi and the things that exactly cordyceps mm-hmm. that you can get now and mm-hmm. use as an elixir or okay, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the fundamental shifts that, that's it's really hard because we've been steeped. You know, all of us alive right now have been steeped in, you know, trying to make the world match us. Mm-hmm. you know, and force the world to match our, the, what our needs when really we're shifting into a time where we're going to realize like it's humans need to match nature, mm-hmm. not the other way around. And that is super exciting, but it's, it's really hard for people to get their head around because it's an entire sea change in, in mindset and viewing the world, but it makes your life so much easier. I think so many people are struggling so direly right now is because we're at different levels of moving into that space where there's so much change and there's only going to be more and more rapid change, like weather extremes and, you know, things coming out of left, you know, a pandemic and wildfires and floods. And the more we can retune ourselves to adapt to changing circumstances rather than needing external circumstances to be matched to us, um, that's a big part of what plant medicine practice is about. Oh, that, that's beautiful. Like letting go of the ego where we think we are the ones that, that rule, the, rule nature and the universe. I don't think so. It reminds me of the movie Fantastic Fungi, which- Beautiful film. Such yeah, a man. beautiful film. And it's amazing to, you know, I look out this window that I'm sitting in front of and I see the trees and all the plants out here. And you would think, you know, most people probably think it's it's pretty static, but there's such a life going on underneath that we don't even know about. And there's yes. a connection. So I'm, I'm going to actually put all of the links to these things, the TEDx talk, um, Fantastic Fungi, anything else that, that we talk about today will be in links. And if there's anything you want to send me that you think is important, that would be great. Let's dig into some of that research. Let's just yeah, a little please. bit of that and then kind of slide into how you're using it and what you're doing. So yeah, happy to. Good. So so talk to me a little bit about what you know that's going on at Johns Hopkins. And then because I think they sort of started the ball rolling. Again. They sure did. Yeah. Roland Griffiths is just a very special soul. And he I think he credits in his talks his meditation practice was what really 
shifted him and is a big part of, um, you know, working with plant medicines and mushroom medicines too. It's, you know, those things come in tandem. They have very similar results actually. When, when you study, you know, studies on meditation are showing very similar results to studies with psilocybin, uh, the effect they have on, on the brain. Um, so they've really got the ball rolling in a distinct department there, and they have studied almost all of the academic studies right now are on large dose or heroic dose, um, journeys of psilocybin as we call them versus microdosing, which are the tiny, you know, daily, um, dosing of entheogenic medicines. So they studied, I think the, they started out studying, um, end of life distress, for cancer patients. They've done smoking cessation studies. Um, for better or for worse, you know, most of the academic studies, because we're in this Western you know, framework still, all of the research tends to be focused on disorders, you know, diagnosable conditions, be it addiction, anxiety, depression, um, cancer diagnosis. Um, so because that's where the funding has been, that's where the research has been to date. And so all of the media and most of the things you read in talks are going to be around those conditions. So those are among the first people that are coming to medicines now are uh, people suffering with addictions, uh, PTSD, um, trauma backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and cancer patients. Well, it's kind of, it reminds me as you say that, that um, that's where psychology started, right? Psychiatry yes. psychology started with the DSM and, and everybody had to have a diagnosis. And then all of a sudden Martin Seligman is talking about, well, why don't we talk about how to optimize and live well and flourish, right? Right, right. So yeah. it comes from that you know, place where people are distressed and they really need something. And then it moves into this place of how do we do it to optimize our own lives and have wellness and, and really, um, our, our most, you know, our best life. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Medicine is so based on categorization and labeling and diagnosis because that too is what the health insurance industry is based on. Mm. You know, that's the only way you can be treated, you know, to have coverage for something is if you fall into a box, right. you know, versus being treated as a unique individual and unique soul. And, so, and being preventative, right? Why do we have to wait till something happens? Exactly. Prevent these things from happening. I won't get on that soapbox. <laughs> but the research does drive. I mean, the research is very valuable in that because because of the moment we're living in history, once things are proven in research, that's what it takes for a lot of people. You know, it's very meaningful to people, you know, when the vaccine, for example, got FDA approval. That's really meaningful to a lot of people. Right. Um, so once there's real data about psilocybin showing, it's tremendous. I mean, it's just, it doesn't even compare. Um, the results of these studies are really incredible for addiction cessation, whether it's you know alcohol addiction, whether it's smoking cigarettes, um, end of life distress, uh, trauma recovery. You know, the veteran community has been really leading the way in a lot of ways with the decriminalization movement because so many veterans are at epidemic levels of PTSD right. and suicide um, and really extreme mental health distress that it's showing enormous, um, enormous 
positive outcomes for veterans. And so they have been really, they, and along with the research and scientists have kind of been pushing this movement forward. Right. And then Dr. Roland Griffith said, I mean, he, you know, having been a, a, you know, a a researcher and scientist in, in psychopharmacology for so many years, he's never seen, you know, the results that he's seeing with this, which is pretty darn amazing for somebody like that. Which also, again, as you say, it brings respect to what he's trying to do. It opens people's minds who may have been a little more closed because Mm -hmm. they need those statistics. And I I do think evidence-based information is important in a lot of ways. That's kind of what drives people. And Mm -hmm. that's what's going to open up this world and hopefully um, allow it to be more accessible to people who need it, but also who who want it and want to optimize. Yeah. One of the beauties of it, when you hear Roland Griffiths talk and some of the other academic researchers is, you know, what they're finding, they were delighted and astounded by the, the physical results of the studies. What they were not expecting was the extreme, you know, positive spiritual outcome and the mystical of how, how much it profoundly impacted someone's life for the positive. And Roland Griffiths talks about that in that initial large study at uh, Johns Hopkins, it was ranked, I think 85% or something in the most meaningful experiences of someone's life across their entire lifetime. And the scientists certainly were not expecting that. And so when we talk about any of these medicines, the entheogenic medicines, science will always only be able to explain it so far. Because there will be biochemistry, things that you can measure and, you know, data you can track, but there's a spiritual aspect to these medicines that science can never, you know, we're just never going to have a complete answer to it because it's, it's spiritual. Yeah. Yet the more people that you have who are experiencing that are, are people that's going to, open up that that idea for other people right so the more you have people that said you know i didn't expect to have a spiritual experience and then they come out saying i had this amazing mystical experience that has stayed with me it's not just a short-term thing it it stays with you and it changes the way that you you come to the world and how you talk to people and and your ideas around you know, how you want to be in this world. And I think that's really powerful when it stays, but also you've gotten, you've got people who never expected to have that happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's so transformative across society right now. You know, we're so distraught. We're so divided. It's such a challenging moment to live in right now. I think most people who are alive right now, this is probably the most challenging moment we've ever lived through. Um, So I don't think it's a coincidence that these medicines and nature is kind of coming to our aid right now, Um, to our aid as a species, as a society, and also for the planet too. You know, we're kind of reaching that critical point where very soon, if we haven't already we don't have that much longer to kind of get things back in, in balance. Um, so the timing is rather divine um, that they're showing up now because we need transformation. 
Well, and that also was another thing that people said about the research that he was doing was that they had this profound sense of unity, that we are all connected, that we're all one, and that, you know, I don't feel separate anymore. I feel that sense of unity and connection. And you're right. Mm -hmm. What we need in our world right now, because we are very disconnected from each other and polarized and it is it is divine intervention that it's that it's coming now it's a mm-hmm. natural need so now that we've talked a little bit tell me tell me some of the things that you have noticed or that you know from research mm-hmm. that people have experienced what what are the shifts what are the changes what are the transformations that people are seeing yeah i mean it's beautiful now i love that we're on kind of the edge of this f- emerging field in this practice because there hasn't been that much research. And so a lot of it's, we're discovering it real time. It's like citizen science, you know, and it's, it's more qualitative and like seeing people's experience. So I've now worked with over a hundred people with microdosing practice, which is working with these medicines, but in a more, you know, smaller dose supplement type relationship. So the idea being that over time you accrue similar benefits of the medicine as a larger dose experience, but spread out over time. So the difference is, you know, kind of like having a daily meditation practice or a yoga practice um, versus like going to a yoga retreat once a year and having, you know, a tremendous shift in epiphany versus, you know, having a daily practice. Um, So, oh my goodness. So we've certainly seen you know, with our participants, the things you read about, like the research that you read about, um, uplift in energy, uplift in mood, um, a shift in your relationship with depression and anxiety. Um, oftentimes when you read about, you know, psilocybin in these studies cures depression, it cures, and it doesn't really cure you're having emotions. Um, you know, you still want to have emotions, but what happens with people is you, when you work with medicines, you shift your relationship with your depression, you know, so you might feel sad, but it doesn't overcome you in the way it used to. Um, so we've seen those things, um, less drinking, less junk food, eating a better mood, more mental clarity, all the things you read about. But we've also seen tremendous shifts in, you know, emotional things, spiritual aspects, um, things that they just haven't studied yet. And some things you just can't study. Um, Tremendous deepening in intuition, um, a clarity and effortlessness of your energy in terms of what do I get up and do today? Well, it just becomes less of a mental activity and more of you feel your way through your life versus overthinking your way Mm. through your life. I think fundamentally, one of the things that's most healing about working with plant medicines is that it helps you become more present. And just by becoming more present, we cure a lot of the things, you know, a lot of the manifestations of disorders that we have are based on not being present. So for example, depression tends to be, people who tend toward depression tend to have very a high degree of rumination, meaning they're always in the past. They're in these loops. They're chronically, you know, thinking things, thinking old stories, thinking scripts, I should have done this, I should have said that. Um, They tend to be in the past a lot. People with anxiety tend to be chronically worried about the future. Yeah. all the time. 
what do I do? What do I say? What if this happens? What if that happens? Planning. And, oh, <laughs> right. Yes. And then there's people that do both, you know, and so they're never where they are. Um, yeah. So just, it's hard to, you know, quantify such a thing, but, but just plant medicines help us become more present. And when you become more present, you're less apt to lean toward depression or anxiety just because you're not in the past and you're not in the future anymore. You're yeah, actually yeah. just where you are. And the word unbound came to me as you were talking about that. It seems mm -hmm. like, like you, you know, we could be like the binding of, of these things that, that our mind is always kind of bound up with present past worry, all that kind of thing. And if mm -hmm. you can use this as a way to kind of be unbound by those, those sort of, worldly things right and i think you know when i became much more interested in this you know it's always something that's sort of been in my mind but meditation has been a really strong practice for me for a long time and when i read michael pollan's book and and as you mentioned you know it's it's like a, a deep meditative practice it's what you it's very close to what you can get with meditation i thought oh my gosh that's really interesting like i want to know more about that and and really thinking about, I love what you said that it's a shift rather than a cure because in functional medicine, that's kind of what, you know, the, the Western world really wants, they want the cure, they want the pill, they want the diet, they want the thing that's gonna just make everything better. And what we're always trying to do, at least I am as a coach, is try to help people understand small little shifts, shifts in thinking, shift in presence, shift in, in how I, come to a problem or an issue or something that's going on in my life. And so it's not so much that cure. So I love the way that you're talking about it as a shift rather than a cure, because I do think it's education, right? Helping people understand that there isn't an a panacea for it that's going to just make it all go away because we need feelings. We need to have that. And we numb exactly. them now, right? numb them with our minds or activity or drugs or whatever it might be. You have to be present for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, being open to, that's what makes us human. That's being able to experience the full humanity and spectrum of life. You know, a lot of our modern society, we're so terrified to feel, you know, sad or grief or fear, or we do, you know, we distract ourselves with work. We distract ourselves with food. Um, most addictions, I think, are chasing, you know, Avoidance of, um, avoidance of, yeah, those more, less uncomfortable feelings, but we can't, you know, once we get rid of those, we get rid of the, the really beautiful parts of life, which is the experience of awe and wonder and joy and delight that is available in the every day. Um, and so, yeah, most of us, I think we want that like safe middle and yeah. So it's a little bit daring to kind of really step into your health and healing fully and embrace the full range of emotion, but that's what life is about. And it's once you're on the other side of that, it's so well worth it. And I think plant medicine practice is very similar to functional medicine in that it's embracing a new participatory healing mm -hmm. versus a passive you know, waiting to be fixed, waiting to be cured, waiting, waiting for a certain, a certainty, you know, we're chasing the certainty, you know, COVID is a perfect example. We, we don't even really seem to 
care if it's like, we know for sure it's true. We just want the certainty of believing something <laughs> is true, right? And like, Definitely. that's enough. Um, and we do that with so many things in our lives and kind of being okay with the mystery of life and being okay with, you know, mm -hmm. what's uniquely true for us and using our intuition um, and really participating with our own body, with our own healing and our own practice. It's gonna be different, like each person has their own medicine. Each person has their own practice. For one person, it's gonna be meditation, another it's swimming, another Qigong. It's really treating the individual in a partnership oh. capacity. Yeah, yeah. Rather than a one size fits all cookie cutter and think that's gonna fix everybody. And right. It's very much in alignment with functional medicine. It's the empowerment, it's it's learning to you know, have the tools so that you don't have to keep going back to someone and saying, help me, fix me, what's wrong with me, right? Like, and for some people it takes a lot longer, um, but I think the empowerment and knowing that you have control over these things that, and, and I know I found a quote from somebody that was working with you that said, now I'm more okay with not having all the answers. I'm more comfortable with being in the gray. Yes. And that's amazing because how much of us, we want, it's either black or white, right? We need the answer or we don't have the answer. We got to do this or we got to do that, right? Yes. How, how do we learn how to be a little more comfortable with being uncomfortable or just letting go and being in that moment of, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I'm just going to kind of trust, not in a way that you're just slunking down on your couch and just ignoring mm -hmm. life, but you're you're still present but you're not pushing it in a way that that you need this specific answer mm -hmm. yeah i think when we focus on your own individual health you know a lot of people are like oh it just there's something about that that sounds self-absorbed or selfish in that and it's not it's actually so extremely the opposite it is the number one most giving thing you can give to the world and everyone you love right. is taking care of your own health. Because when you take care of your own health and you are fully whole in yourself, you're less apt to be affected by external circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, the changing and transition of times is you're still able to, um, you have a different level of self-awareness of why you're feeling, how you hold your emotions, and also you are whole in yourself. Like you're okay with not knowing. You don't have to have all the answers. You're okay with uncertainty. Right. Um, you're okay with unknown. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen and that's okay. I'm fine right now. You know, that's the, the beauty of presence. Yeah. And so what you might think is selfish taking an hour a day you know, to have a spiritual practice or a movement practice and a medicine practice, it's really the most giving thing you can possibly do for the world. Oh, it absolutely is because you're a better listener. You're a better partner. The energy that you emanate, which other people pick up on is, is, is just better energy, right? It's, it's happier. It's more grounded. It's, it's not in depression or anxiety. It's in the present moment where I'm just going to be with what's happening now. So you're right. The self care portion of it is not about, your own it's what what's good for you in this process is actually good for humanity in the collective world yeah i think we've given self-care you know people think of self-care and they think it's like taking bubble baths and lighting right. candles and stuff. it's, it's like no it's 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 working on your soul it's spirit practice it's working on your emotional self your 
self-awareness, you know, because when you have that, it's just going to be so far easier to navigate this world that's only going to come more, you know, and instead of being kind of the feeling overwhelmed and lost and hopeless, you know, you can be more like a Jedi and, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, yeah. what's happening now and how do I adapt and, um, yeah, help every, make everybody around you stronger when you're whole, you have that much more to give. You're coming from a place of being okay with the unknown. You're coming from a place of abundance within yourself rather than based on external. And I think a really, you can see the distinction between people who have that right now and not because there's so much the the behavior of hoarding and scarcity and fear is very much part of the old model that I think is, is beginning to fall away. Mm -hmm. And the more we practice on ourselves, our own healing, our spiritual practice, we don't need to hoard, you know, we, we have, you know, a beautiful quote. One of my teachers said many years ago, she said, you know, at any given time, you have almost everything you need within 10 feet of you. Oh, wow. And I was like, you know, <laughs> I think of that often and how true that is. Um, so that's a really beautiful practice because I think that distinction is coming up for a lot of people kind of having faith mm -hmm. that, that you have enough and that things are going to work out mm -hmm. um, versus you're going to lose everything. And so let me get everything I can for myself before there's nothing left. Um, Absolutely. You know, and that's interesting you say that too, because I see often when I work with people in functional medicine, as they go through the process, coaching, working with a physician, kind of healing and getting better, feeling better, they do start to, they almost, you know, you've detoxed your body, you now start to detox your environment and people start to get rid of things. They sell things, they, or they just give them away. They also start like letting go of maybe an old job, they find a new career, they, they really start to come into themselves in a way that feels like just what you're experiencing, what you're talking about. It's a, it's a complete detox of, of maybe what you were collecting in this old way of thinking that you don't need anymore in the new way. Exactly, exactly. So mm -hmm. let's get into some, some interesting stuff about, you know, what are some of the components of what you do for people? I know you talked about, um, you also talk about gut health and detox and, mm -hmm. and moving the body and the energetic work that you might do with people, because I think energy medicine is very, very, very closely aligned with all of this. So mm -hmm. help you understand that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of it comes into play because plant medicine, you know, the programs we offer now nationwide, it's working with small subperceptual doses of, of plant medicine um, as a supplement. But again, it's participatory healing. So it's very, very different than a drug experience where you take a drug and you can keep your lifestyle exactly the same and expect the drug to fix you. You know, it's very, very different method and mode. It's more of a partnership. You know, I described the plant medicine wisdom. It's, it's not a drug. It's not something that's made in a lab. So it's bringing its own innate wisdom. Yes, it's going to have physical effects and mental effects for you, but it's also going to have effects on your intuition in your life, you know, the serendipities that happen. Um, all of these different things uh, transform over time. 
but it necessitates you stepping into relationship. And that means getting into your body, um, practicing movement, practicing breath. You know, it's really back to these fundamental things. Um, your gut is so much more important and we're just starting, you know, functional medicine, I feel like is on they're leading this consciousness among people is really focusing on how important our gut is. Mm -hmm. It is truly our second brain. And I think in some ways we're going to more and more discover how, you know, it might be even more important than our brain. Um, <laughs> as we have evolved as humans, that's part of this. The issue has been is we've become overly reliant on our brains and not on our guts. And our gut is the seat of our spirit and our soul. It's our intuition. Um, and we have just as many receptors, our serotonin receptors, which is where psilocybin works on, mm, uh, connects with humans is through our serotonin receptors. We actually have more serotonin receptors in our gut than we do in our brain. Mm -hmm. yep. And so when scientists, all of these academic studies are being done, they're being done on the brain. They're not being done on the gut. And so we have so much more to learn. But really, you know, working with a functional medicine doctor and focusing on your gut is, is one of the most fantastic things you can do for your health, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the energy work that you do with people or that you, um, you know, at least present for them during these courses, what are some of those things? Yeah, we've had many people do Reiki is big one has been established and there's many, many different energy. There's polarity. <clears throat> there's hands-on healing. It's called many, many different things, but to me, fundamentally, they're all the same. It's really just opening up the body to energetic pathways, opening up your ability to receive, to give, and know when your energy is blocked. I mean, that's kind of the premise of, of acupuncture, acupressure. It's it's noticing energy where energy is in abundance, overabundance sometimes, or needs more energy. So whenever you're doing complementary practices, it has an amplifying effect. Okay. So we've noticed if people do breath work, Reiki, um, you know, many are doing simultaneous trainings for the first time in these things and their results are magnified um, exponentially when they're doing them in tandem. Oh, phenomenal. Great. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about um, just functional mushrooms. Tell me, tell me what you know about all of the functional mus mushrooms that we can use. And because those are readily available, easily accessible um, in most places, right? Yeah, I mean, a great starting place to learn about mushrooms in general is Paul Stamets. Um, yeah. He yeah. was featured in that movie. He is just a legend in the field and, um, He's just such a passionate individual. His life has truly been dedicated to mushrooms. Um, and so he's a mycologist. He's based up in the Pacific Northwest. And his website um, is just rich with information, any kind of information you would want to know about functional mushrooms um, and what they can do for your health and healing. So it's beautiful. There's turkey tail to reishi to cordyceps to chaga and across the board, they have different medicinal benefits. Mm -hmm. um, we call them tonic mushrooms. So it's not like 
you can take too much of one. So oftentimes you can stack them together. Um, I really love combining lion's mane is one of my favorite functional mushrooms with almost everything. Lion's mane is very protective to the nervous system mm -hmm. and brain health. So we have such an epidemic now with long-term living older and having brain deterioration, you know, from memory loss, dementia. So lion's mane is showing remarkable promise, um, for long-term brain health, for memory. Um, people who have been microdosing with lion's mane in our program have shown remarkable memory retention, um, being able to hold just more details in your mind, remember people, remember things. Um, and it's tasty too, which is nice. It's tasty, right. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's lots of ways to, to source that. Certainly, um, I mean, mm -hmm. I think Four Sigmatic is one of the companies that really does yes. a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's many others. I know Mudwater, one of their... Um, one of their concoctions has lion's mane and chaga in it. So, yes. So a couple different ways to, to source that. And I'll put that in the show notes too. Mm -hmm. But what are some others that you would know um, that, or, or just getting, you know, the lion's mane from somewhere that you just put it in, you know, whatever you're making. I don't yeah. Know. Lion's mane is actually really fun to grow because oh, it's oh. this beautiful, yeah, it's really, really one of the most um, ornate mushrooms and you can grow it at home and it's almost looks like this beautiful, like shaggy lion's mane, um, which is, yeah, if you Google pictures of it, it's really gorgeous when you see it um, growing in nature. Um, but yeah, you can grow it on your own or you can, yeah, the, the, the companies you mentioned are great. And Paul Stamets also has a company, um, oh, right. that has supplements. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. And then, um, do you know, like if, if we were to direct somebody to a great website, would it be Paul Stamets website or would it be somewhere else to find out how to grow them at home? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know any offhand, um, yeah, I don't know of any offhand, but I will send it to you if yeah. I find, but okay. they're, cool. they're certainly out there. You know, I've seen people at the farmer's market increasingly who are growing, you know, and selling at farmer's right. markets. Yeah. Cause you, you can grow them inside in your basement, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's one of the nice things is you can, even if you can't have a garden or an herb garden, if you're limited, if you're in an apartment and you don't have an outdoor area, um, that is perfectly okay with mushrooms. Cause they tend to grow inside in the dark, like in a closet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So tell me about a few more of the functional mushrooms and, and what they support. Mm, well, turkey tail is pretty extraordinary. Turkey tail is showing a lot of uh, promise with cancer treatment. Oh, so um, shrinking tumors and just is a very powerful antioxidant potential. Uh, Paul Stamets actually credits turkey tail. His mom was diagnosed with a very late stage cancer um, and he treated her with turkey tail and she successfully went into remission. Um, so right. turkey tail is a great one. Um, cordyceps is amazing for energy levels. It's a really beautiful one. Um, reishi, I take reishi in some form almost every day. Reishi is just a great balancer. It's great for mood balancing, um, emotions, harm, hormonal fluctuations. Oh, who doesn't um, do that, right? Right, right. <laughs> Mm hmm. And I just find it really protective and soothing. Um, so whether it's environmental toxins or, you know, just the embardment of overstimulation from media and the environment, um, noise pollution, I think reishi is very protective. Um, 
Good. One that Paul Stamets talks about a lot now that's not really super well known that I've just kind of gotten into checking out more is agaricon. So agaricon is this beautiful, massive mushroom um, that only grows in the old growth redwood forest, but it is it has very potent antiviral capabilities. So it's I believe he has it now in a supplement form. But he is strongly making the case to the government that you know we need to protect our old growth redwood forests because a lot of these mushroom species, we've only discovered like a tiny fraction of the mushroom species there are. I mean, it's, it's incredible um, how much um, medicine, natural medicine there is out in the world that we just haven't even discovered yet as people. And so Paul Stamets is really um, advocating to the government to protect these old growth redwood forests that are being decimated. You know, there's less and less of them every year to protect them because it's in our best interests for national security. And as a people like to have these medicines that we haven't even discovered yet, mm -hmm. um, Agaricon shows the, the data on Agaricon is showing it is very potent for viruses and pandemics. And he's making the point, like if we had put some attention there. That's pretty timely. I thought knows. the old growth redwoods were protected. Not all of them are. Not all of them are. No, yeah. you hear about the ones who, you know, when a conservationist buys one and protects it right. or people raise money to protect it. But yeah, there's still a lot going on right now in Washington, logging going on in Washington and Oregon. Okay. So Agaricon, A-G-A-R-A-C-O-N or? I think it's K-O-N. Yeah. Okay. I will put that in the show notes too. I'll, I'll make sure to get that. So much great information about like, the functional things that people can do and, and what they can use it for. Yeah, so. it's a great way to start. I always encourage people, if you're kind of hesitant to, you know, if the thought of like psilocybin and the, the more um, hallucinogenic natural medicines make you nervous starting out with, <laughs> it's yeah. a great place to start mm -hmm. with the functional medicinal mushrooms because they don't have any psychoactive properties you know, that a lot of them are very tasty. You can incorporate them into your cooking and it's a beautiful way to incorporate all those medicines, you know, in a great pasta dish or a great yes. soup. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that sounds fantastic. Inviting people over for that kind of a meal and saying, right. you know, you're going to really chill out and you don't need wine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. That's funny. My family would love that one. Uh, right. They're always suspicious about what I put in my food anyway. So hopefully they will, maybe they won't listen to this podcast. So <laughs> over for dinner, they will be like, what's in that? That's hilarious. True. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell me, you, you mentioned when we spoke last that, you know, growing up, you didn't really have any interest in, in drugs that were psychoactive or anything like that. That was just not something that you were, you were an athlete, you were, you were a student that was in, interested in academics. It wasn't something that you were interested in. And, and that's not what this is. This is not mm -hmm. about, you know, doing a drug and, and having a trip and, and that sort of thing. It's not from that perspective. Yeah. So, so tell me your, your mindset shift into this and, you know, what actually the microdosing is. Because as you said, it's very small sub what was the word you perceptual used? sub perceptual mm -hmm. okay yeah I mean that's exactly that's exactly it I was not only an athlete and I took school very very seriously 
so doing drugs recreationally was never interesting to me. And then in addition to that, I have a very, very sensitive nervous system. I started having seizures uh, when I was 19 and I, I kind of knew all along it was due to, I just have a hyper, hypersensitive nervous system. Mm -hmm. And I did all the tests, you know, looking for biological uh, sources or epilepsy and a diagnosis. And, and I was never able to receive a formal diagnosis. Um, but that too, it was, I was always very cautious about what I put into my body because I knew I was going to have a, a more extreme reaction. So I did when I, learned of medicines, um, medicines have natural plants as a way of calling to you. It's like you hear about them or you keep running into them or you meet people. If you put it out there, like it's so funny. And that's just how funny how mushrooms work. It's if you think about the way mushrooms thrive and grow, I mean, they've been here for, you know, far many millennia before humans have they have lived through so many different extinction moments and it's because they are the way they are most they live most of their lives underground they're hidden they're very nondescript and then they only surface every once in a while but they have this whole intricate underground web of life and they connect all of life together. Mm. And so we often joke, it's, it's called the mycelial network is the underground network of mushrooms. And the way they work for people is very much the same way. So people who get called to medicine when it's time for you to, to find them. Um, yeah. So I was introduced to them as a, not as a drug, not that was going to give you special effects. I was introduced to them more for their th therapeutic potential. And that's what piqued my interest is, you know, we have all these things, we have, you know, the greatest technologies and, and most cutting edge science in the world here in the United States, yet we are sicker than ever. We are more mentally unhealthy than ever. And we need something to really catalyze change. Um, and in all of my practices and all the modalities I have studied, I've never come across anything in 25 years that is as transformative as natural medicines are right. in catalyzing healing and growth for people at a very fundamental way. So when I started um, microdosing, is a pretty new concept and word. Um, James Fadiman, who's a researcher from the 60s, who was kind of part of the you know, that wave of psychedelics in the 60s. He was a researcher. He prim primarily studied LSD, uh, but he wrote a book, I don't know, maybe a decade ago or so, not too long ago. And he coined the term microdosing, which okay. so is new to popular, you know, lexicon, but actually the, the concept of taking small doses of plant medicine um, has been in indigenous traditions and ancient cultures forever, you know? Um, so in indigenous tradition, it's often called a dieta. So yeah. dieta, D-I-E-T-A, and like a diet. Okay. And oh. it is in, in indigenous tradition, it's taking small amounts of a plant medicine um, to prepare yourself for growth, for uh, opening in consciousness, for spiritual experience. Um, so that's pretty much what we're doing. Microdosing is just kind of a modern term for it. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So people come to it now for spiritual reasons, for mental reasons, emotional, as well as physical reasons. And I think when I started, it was probably honestly all, all of those things mm-hmm. um, was what piqued my interest. And before I did it, you know, I did what I described. I was nervous. So I, I started with medicinal mushrooms first. I kind of explored them, learned a lot. And then I just dove into uh, learning about psilocybin and plant medicines first, um, listened to all the podcasts, you know, read all the books, mm-hmm. um, learned all I could, and then experimented first, you know, on myself. And it was profound. You know, it really, the first six months of practice, um, again, everybody has their own unique experience with it. Um, it's very, very individual medicines really meet you, um, where you are and your intention is so important. So if your intention is on physical healing, you know, you will receive physical benefits and, and change, um, and same with nature and spirit, you know, that was a big intention of mine. I've always been really close with animals as a child and in nature. Um, and that has just increased exponentially, um, with practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So walk me through a little bit of the um, idea around um, the legalization of it, the decriminalization of it, where it is um, legal and where it isn't and how that works. Yeah, it's a really, really exciting time. You know, it's it's funny when we record these things because today we're in September of 2021, but it's moving so quickly and changing so fast, like six months from now you know, we would be having a very different conversation. So it's really exciting to be part of this movement right now um, because it's really the people just regular. Yes. The science and the data and the research is, is driving it, but it's, it's really people, just everyday people around the country that are really driving the changes. So the decriminalization movement is popping up kind of all over the country. Um, Denver was the first place in the country to decriminalize in within the city limits. Um, now we have Santa Cruz and Oakland, uh, Washington, DC. Um, That's really interesting. I saw that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that? it's again, driven by just people. And Melissa Lavasati is a mom. Um, she actually worked for the government. She had a government job and she had experienced really severe postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Um, after the birth of her child and she it was out of desperation, you know, she tells the story. And so she tried to do all the things she tried medications and she tried talk therapy um, and she was desperate. So she ordered some spores, took a chance, you know, and ordered some spores, learned to grow at home off YouTube, I think. And <laughs> um, that she credits, she credits microdosing and working with mushrooms to saving her life. Wow. And she became the somewhat reluctant face of the decrim movement in Washington, DC. And during a time when it was really hard to collect signatures and ballot initiatives during COVID, uh, she and her team did it. Wow. And they just passed decrim last year. It became law this year. Um, so Washington, DC, Ann Arbor, Michigan mm-hmm. um, has been at the forefront too. Um, Somerville and Cambridge in, in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, and then Oregon became the first statewide last year, passed an initiative decriminalization initiative. 
yeah. um, and a legalization where legalization in licensed clinics mm -hmm. will take place next year in the state of Oregon. So okay. it's all happening very, very quickly. Um, you know, the government just a couple of weeks ago, the federal government authorized more money to be studied, to put towards studying psilocybin. Um, and again, I think the veteran community is having a huge impact, you know, in, in helping educate the government and right. people in Congress how, how much these medicines are needed at this time and how effective they really are as compared to the traditional antidepressant model that we've been working with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and then you're, you know, that that is a big population that really struggles so much. I mean, you mentioned earlier the suicide rate. I mean, that's just, it's it's out of control in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And so if they can, you know, that, that that's such a population that, that tugs at the heartstrings of so many people. So I think that um, if that's the way you can get there, that's that's a really good start. Exactly. And that's why it's so beautiful that they, they can attest, they all have personal stories, right? You know, the ones who were leading these veteran organizations in many cases were combat veterans, special force veterans who came back and were really, you know, really struggling and, and suicidal. And it was plant medicine they credit with saving their lives. And so now they're running these organizations, but because of their backgrounds and their credentials, you know, the military and the government will listen to them. They're open to yeah. hearing their stories and in such a, you know, everybody can get behind a veteran who has sacrificed so much, Democrat, progressive, liberal, Republican, <laughs> conservative, you know, we're all gonna get behind and support that person, so. Yeah. A unifying group of people to really bring this to the forefront. Tell me, do, do you know anything about, and I know we're getting towards, um, you know, almost like, well, I mean, actually we're, I think we, my timer is going a little bit long, but that's okay. I could talk about this stuff all day. Long. I know. Yeah. So did I. I told you, I've got all kinds of questions. And then even half the questions I had, we like, you know, I had more as well. Uh -huh. um, but MDMA, tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about that because it's not something, I, I mean, I know a little bit about it. I've read a little bit about it. Um, even some clients have mentioned to me about, you know, they would like to try and experience. It isn't something I really know much about, but mm -hmm. help me understand that too. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share what I know. I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert on MDMA. I have a lot of friends who do work with, with MDMA. Um, MAPS, which is based in Santa Cruz, um, has been for years, years, one of the leaders, Rick Doblin and his team have really been working very hard to get um, done, FDA approval for MDMA and they're very, very close. So soon, hopefully MDMA will be available by prescription and licensed for therapy as part of therapy. Okay. So that's my understanding of, of where it is um, legally. MDMA is a synthetic. So my, my work tends to be with natural medicines that are grown in nature versus the lab, you know, lab based synthetics, yeah. uh, which MDMA is. And MDMA has a lot of stigma, you know, depending on your age, if you kind of live through the dance culture and the rave culture of the scene, MDMA was very much part of that culture. And, um, to negative effect because it was used excessively, you know, sure. similar to, you know, psilocybin in the sixties, MDMA through that time was used excessively. And the stigma comes from when overused, it has um, 
it overstimulates your serotonin receptors mm -hmm. to the point where you, you need more and more to achieve. Oh. So it does impact at which natural medicines don't have that same impact. So therapeutic use in the hands of a licensed doctor in combination with therapy mm -hmm. has been the approach of kind of bringing it back into the mainstream. The people I know who work with MDMA, um, it's not a microdosing experience. So it's a larger, you know, perceptual, you will feel effects. Um, but it's used with therapy because it's a lot of people I know, guides who I work with who use MDMA call it heart medicine versus MDMA, which I think is such a beautiful name for it. Um, heart medicine, because its effects is it just allows people to be um, more open in touch with their emotion, more self-aware. Um, so it's, it's wonderful for emotional trauma and healing as well as couples, you know, couples healing and relationship healing, whether it's parent child or between spouses. Um, a lot of practitioners and psychotherapists I know who use MDMA it, it's in those applications. So it's a, it's a, it's gentle. It's very gentle and opening. So people too, who are kind of afraid of say going to the jungle doing ayahuasca, which is, you know, that is a big experience. Um, yeah. MDMA is a kind of more subtle, gentle, softer entry into psychoactives. Yeah. Interesting. I like, so what you said about, um, you know, the synthetics versus the natural med medications or na natural medicine, mm -hmm. that it doesn't have the same effect in terms of needing more and more and more. Um, so I think that would probably be somebody, I, I'm sure a lot of people have that question for you. You know, yes. if, I keep, if I do this, am I am I going to get hooked on this feeling yes. I have from this microdosing and want to keep doing it and then increase with, it has no addictive properties to it is what you're saying. Yes. It's not addictive. It's not habit forming and you don't become reliant on it. Okay. Um, those that has been proven in, in research. However, most people, when we, when we do even microdosing, it's recommended on a protocol, right? So it's not something you're doing all the time. Um, just like journeys, you're not doing journeys and deeper experiences all the time. Um, so it really depends on, again, your unique self and your dosage and how much you're, you're taking where you're at in your life and, and frankly, what you're working on, you know, are you working on a pretty pronounced, uh, mental or emotional condition or are you quote unquote, you know, what we call healthy, healthy, normal, just looking to optimize your life. And so all of that will be impacted by, um, that will inform the protocol that you use. Right. Right. So what, what do you see in terms of, um, this, in, you mentioned something about upending the world of healthcare and pharmaceuticals. So, so where, where do you think this is going to go? Cause I know in the functional medicine world, supplements now are being taken over by big pharma companies. You know, they have all these offshoots of supplement companies and, you know, so getting away from that isn't really, I mean, I suppose if, if you're supporting something that's a little bit more natural and it's a supplement that's definitely better than 
than medications and synthetic products that that have a bunch of side effects but yeah yeah you're smiling this is well this is such a big topic timely topic right now because you know we're in between we're in this like gray area right now before decriminalization and legalization happening and so it's ripe for control right that's the question is like who gets to have these medicines who gets to use these medicines who gets to administer these medicines who has the right right yeah. and it's all about control and it's all about profits and so there are many 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 psychedelic pharmaceutical companies in the mix you know have raised money they're poised and ready um, to move into the market they're largely working with synthetic versions of natural medicine so that's one of the things people don't often realize when it comes to these academic studies, even they're not allowed to use natural medicines. Oftentimes they're using a synthetic form of psilocybin and using the chemical psilocin in these studies. Um, so because on one hand, I think it's more controlled, yep, and more specific when it's it's done in a lab. And then, you know, there's the question of you know, if it's run through a pharmaceutical company and you say you can get a prescription for MDMA or psilocybin, then you have to get a prescription and it limits it to other drugs, you know, um, where, you know, that's fine if you have health insurance in this country and, you know, fit in all those boxes and quote unquote, have a diagnosable condition. But yeah. what about all the people who don't have that access? Yeah. Um, and it's what makes it really you know, another layer when it comes to psilocybin and mushrooms is psilocybin mushrooms are available everywhere. They're so accessible. They're so easy to grow. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, scarcity or overuse like you do with, um, you know, we are destroying the rainforest to get the timber or the Pacific Northwest to get the timber. Um, peyote is very rare the cactus and so we have to worry about the mushrooms that's not the case mushrooms you can grow yourself easily you know at home um, and make your own medicines so that is vastly um jarring and upending to the systems that be if you can grow your own medicines and you don't need to have health insurance you don't yeah. need to have approval you know from a certain sect of society so in terms of their accessibility and able to reach, you know, the millions of people who need them, um, mushrooms don't have that barrier. To me, the, to me, the big question is, is what I'm focused on. And when I talk to many, many other people doing medicine work is how do we provide the support? It's not really quote unquote administering the medicines because you have your own individual relationship with the medicines. It's really what people need in the process of the support in their growth and their healing. Right. And so that's what we're, when we talk amongst ourselves, that's really what we're talking about. It's not necessarily how, how do the most number of people get these medicines. It's really how do we support people in their process and their growth in the Which process. Yeah, which is what you're doing with your um, your group and the community that you create. Yeah, it because that's mm -hmm. so important to have that that community that people are are connected to each other and especially because it's a, a spiritual experience, right? And you're you're kind of growing. And as we talked about, that energy that shifts is really dependent. We we are you become this 
well, you, you don't become, you realize that we yes. already are all united and all energetically connected. So the work that you're doing, supporting the community piece is really the most important part. To me, it is. Yeah, it's fundamental. And it's it hasn't been part of our Western framework for a long time. Our Western framework has been you know, take this pill, go home, here's your prescription. And maybe just maybe, you know, we'll do some one-on-one -on -one therapy where it's you talking um, in a room. The group healing aspect has really been lost along the way, but in, again, an in indigenous tradition and in ancient culture, it was a huge part of healing is just coming together to share our stories or through music or through dance or through culture you know, the culture of a society, I think, is a reflection of the spirit and souls of the individual people in that society. So we can see that, you know, when we walk around in our towns and our cities, what what exists is is a reflection of us. And I am very hopeful that as, as we shift the paradigm of healing and the way we live and what's important to us, you know, we will come to reflect, you know, a more meaningful, connected way of, of living with the earth than we are now. That's, yeah. that's your mission statement. Mm. <laughs> uh, maybe the last thing would be the Grow Gift Gather. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So largely the, the decriminalization movement has been largely based on that, um, that thought or sentiment. So legalization is, is very different in that it's something is not against the law decriminalization is just it becomes the lowest priority of law enforcement mm -hmm. so it's in some ways faster because a lot of our towns and our cities and our states have very archaic and arcane processes to make things legal again so in the meantime decriminalization was really powered by the people it started out as a very very grassroots movement that spread all around the country and so each town and city can have its own chapter of decriminalized nature and the grow gift gather is really based on the individual having a relationship with the medicines for their own personal use and healing mm -hmm. so grow means you can grow small quantities for your personal or sacramental use at home for yourself you can gift them you can share them um, with friends and loved ones. And that way it's, it designates it for its healing, therapeutic and intentional use versus say retail commodification. Right. Yes. And distinguishing between those things. Okay. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, Casey, this has been a really informative and exciting discussion just about, I mean, I, I think I wanted to bring this together you know, bring us together to, to share this because I don't think enough people understand it in a way that it's presented where people aren't like, oh, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? You know, right. And then this is, I'm going to go on a trip. It's, it's so much more um, well-rounded when we talk about it in terms of how you're presenting it with that. It's an empowering thing. It's not just, you're going to take this medicinal mushroom and that's it. You're just going to look for the effects and then, you know, move on with your day. It's about transforming somebody's life and transforming the way you come to the world and healing whatever might be inside that you need to shift and balance. And, and so this discussion, I think, has been really so helpful for me and I hope for the people who listen to it. Um, and, and I really thank you so much for being here with me. 
before we end, just let me know how people can find you and learn a little bit more about mm -hmm. what you're doing. Um, just, just tell me how to connect and I'll put it in the show notes too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really accessible online. So you can connect with me. Um, you can Google me and I will pop up. Um, I'm personally on LinkedIn and you can find me there to connect there um, as well as all the social channels. Our website for our community programs and virtual platform is at microdosingforhealing.com. And I have some videos up there for beginners, um, some frequently asked questions of people who are brand new to medicines that they often ask. We made some videos there. And then there's a page, an application page to apply for individual as well as the community programs on there. Okay, great, great. That's good information. And, you know, this is one of those shows that's, that I will have a lot of, of links in the show notes mm -hmm. for all the things that we talked about, the books. Um, there's the, you know, do you have any other books that you recommend people read? Many, many. Yeah. We, we, we read a lot in our course offerings. Yeah. There's some great books. I mean, Michael Pollan's books are really wonderful for beginners. Um, how to change your mind mm -hmm. really, um, shifted, you know, there's certain moments, you know, in culture that a book or a movie or a film like kind of captures the attention of everyone. Okay. Uh, Michael Pollan's book for certain was that. Um, so his first book was, I think, 2018 called How to Change Your Mind. And he just came out with another one um, a couple months ago called This Is Your Mind on Plants. Yeah, That's also really wonderful. So I always recommend those two to people. Um, Braiding Sweetgrass is... Another book that is, you know, we love it. We, we have it in our course program and I recommend that book to everyone. It really, um, it really touches on our interconnectedness with the plant and mushroom world and natural world. Um, Robin Kimmerer is an, the author and she's a botanist as well as she is um, an indigenous person. And so she marries those two, um, two positions and roles. And it's just a really beautiful poetic book. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I'll put links to those two, um, those, well, those three, those mm -hmm. books also in the show notes, because it's always good for, for people to have something to kind of dig into and, and either listen to it on Audible or, or read mm -hmm. it. I, I've just stopped doing podcasts and getting book recommendations because I've got a stack. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are so many great, yeah, there's so many great books and there's so many great podcasts out there. I mean, Paul Stamets is, he's been in this world for the longest time, you know, years and years ago, he was kind of alone. <laughs> so right, right. Doing right. the same, like bringing the same message. And now he just has a whole lot of other people with him bringing this message. He has more company these days, but he's just a fascinating character, just so bright and so passionate. Um, and he has a lot and lot of talks online. So I recommend, yeah, his talks are always great and really informative and inspiring. Yeah. There's no lack of information for finding out about this stuff, but finding out about it in the right way, I think um, that's what I like to help people find, like the people that you really should be checking out rather than just doing a Google search. And because there's there's so much information out there, but it may not always be the most accurate, the best information from people who really care about it and know what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. So it's always helpful to get that from people that are in the world and know um, what the best recommendations are. Mm -hmm. Well, 
Thank, Thank you, you for being here. This was so great. My pleasure. My pleasure. It is my absolute favorite thing to talk about. So I really appreciate being able to share with you all. Thank Absolutely. you. Okay. Mm -hmm. I so thoroughly enjoyed that conversation and I hope you did too. It's really some groundbreaking information, I think, about healing and, and the way that we have a little more power than we thought we did, right? So thanks for listening. Please make sure to check out the show notes for all of the links mentioned during our conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share, rate, and review the podcast, Full Capacity Living Podcast to help increase our reach. I really appreciate that. And I know that that's really how this information is going to get out there. And that's really the purpose of Full Capacity Living Podcast is to expand people's minds, make this information available, and give you resources. So thanks for listening. And I'll see you in a few weeks. <laughs>